0: This is Glover Teixeira, UFC light heavyweight champion. Hi, I'm Robbie Lawler. What's up, Fight Family? This is your favorite MMA coach, Siagua was the pit bull. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm Pedro this is Mike Brown. Hey, I'm Alexey Alenik. And welcome. And welcome. And welcome. And welcome. And this is we want, we want, Picks. And you're watching We Want Picks. So We Want Picks. So we Want Picks. So We Want Picks. To We Want Picks. Hi, everybody from America. My name's Angelo, and welcome to We Want Picks. I have broken down UFC 273 twice already, twice, because they kept adding fights, they were swapping opponents, people were dropping, and it was all over the place. And I thought I was done. And then they just swapped out Alexi Olenek's opponent. Alir Latifi is gone. He is out for the second time. And Jared Vandera is stepping in on that fight. And then Kelvin Gastelum is now injured. He's out, and Drikas Duplessis, Now has no opponent, which is ironic and insane, whatever word you want to use, because he originally was matched up against Anthony Hernandez. Then they did a couple switcheroos to accommodate Kelvin to keep Dreykus, you know, give him a more profile, high-profile fight because they want to push him. And now Kelvin's out. Dreykus has no opponent. Anthony Hernandez is still on the card. Alir Latifi's out. Jared Vandera's in. And I'm gonna break down all of it again so that you will get my insight, my picks, my predictions and my bets, so I'm gonna walk through every single one of those, and we'll splice in some updates for you. If you want a more detailed breakdown with multiple perspectives, a lock of the week, and fantasy information, make sure you join our Tuesday night live streams at 8.30 p.m. Central. We walk through the entire fight card, and it's not just me, it's me and Jacob, and we'll also give you DraftKings Monkey Knife Fight, all the fantasy information you could ever want. And if you want 50, five zero free dollars from me, to you, just go to wewantpicks.com bets. We have five different betting partners. Every single one of them offers their own bonuses, their own promotions, their own matches, and they all have their own pros and cons. But if you go there and you sign up with any one of them or all of them, let me know after you do, and I will send you $50 as a thank you for supporting us and our partners. So that's wewantpicks.com bets. Jump into any one of the partners, make a deposit, let us know after you do, and we send you 50 bucks. It is literally that simple. And this breakdown is brought to you by Earn You. Earn You is the world's first sports and esports prediction game, allowing you to earn crypto completely risk-free. Check it out now at you.io. And OddsJam. OddsJam has the fastest real-time data to spot discrepancies between different sports books and help users place risk-free bets. Check them out at oddsjam.com. The new opener for UFC 273 is Pajeda Rodriguez versus Kay Hansen. This should be a really fun fight. Pajeda Rodriguez is a nasty striker with very real finishing ability. She plots forward and lets her hands fly. It's like a controlled brawl where she's calculated in what she's doing, but she wings those punches and she puts her hips into everything. She has pretty good takedown defense and she's defensively sound on the ground. She has her own takedowns as well but don't let the stats fool you. She is absolutely a striker. The stats are a little skewed from her last fight. Kay Hansen is incredibly young. She made her UFC debut at only 20 years old. She's short, she's a powerful grappler, and she just likes to bob bob and weave her way into the clinch, and then she bullies you against the cage, Once that distance is closed, once she gets you against the cage, she drops down, grabs one leg, two legs. She lifts from there, and she starts working takedowns immediately. If she gets that takedown, she starts working for submissions. On the surface, you might call this a striker versus grappler matchup, but these ladies are much more diverse than that. Kay Hansen can absolutely bang on her feet. She's not technical, but she will hang out in the pocket and exchange. On the other side of that, Pajda Rodriguez can grapple. She doesn't look to push the wrestling offense, but her takedown defense is very good, and she does a really nice job inflicting damage in those defensive scrambles. If you watch some of her fights, women will shoot in on her, and she'll just throw her hips in there, do damage, and just bully you to your back, and she ends up on top from there. She does a lot of damage while defending takedowns. Kay Hansen is very good. Very good. I really like Pajeda Rodriguez in this matchup. I I think there's just something special in her. The way that she defends those takedowns and starts immediately doing damage is absolutely fantastic. She can bang on her feet. If she is fully taken down, she's got solid uh, grappling defense. So I like Pajeda Rodriguez right out of the gate as the underdog. Then we've got Vince Pichel taking on Mark Madsen. I love Vince Pichel's nickname. It's Vince from hell Pichelle. And he's a really good in and out striker. He's got lots of movement. He picks his shots really well. I wouldn't say he's like super technical, but he does time things really well. He also has solid offensive wrestling when he uses it and he averages more than three takedowns per fight. But what's most surprising is that Even though he's a very good offensive wrestler, he gets taken down a lot. Gregor Gillespie took him down seven times. Roosevelt Roberts took him down twice. Jim Miller took him down twice. Austin Hubbard took him down four times. So he has good wrestling offense, but his wrestling defense could definitely use some work. Mark Madsen is an Olympic Greco wrestler. If you don't know what Greco wrestling is, uh, you don't touch the legs. It's all upper body trips, throws, things like that. You don't touch the legs. You're not shooting those takedowns. But he is an Olympic Greco wrestler. And previously, I, in the past, when breaking him down, I would say that his striking was not very good. But he just won a three-round decision against Clay Guida with zero takedowns. Some of you haters in the comments said, well, he didn't get takedown. He tried, and he didn't get him. And that's why he had he was forced to strike. No. He attempted one takedown in 15 minutes. He chose to strike and he won a lot of those striking exchanges. Uh, he has a positive striking differential. He's got very real power in his hands as well. But even though his striking has improved, we can't ignore the fact that he is absolutely a wrestler. He took Austin Hubbard down eight times in that win. You are know, breaking down this fight, and I mentioned it last time, I'm going to say it again. I was surprised that Vince Bichelle is the favorite here. I mentioned how often he gets taken down. And statistically, he only has a 25% takedown defense. Meanwhile, Mark Mattson, the Olympic wrestler, was able to show that he can strike in his last fight. I see Mark Mattson beating Vince the same way that Gregor Gillespie did. Lots of takedowns. If it stays striking, I think Mark will have some trouble with Vince's movement because he's got a ton of movement on his feet. But he did outstrike Clay Guida 98-72. to 72, And Clay Guida might be the most mobile guy on his feet in the division So I like Mark here. I think the odds uh, are a little wide. They're definitely confusing me. I'm going to go Moneyline bet on Mark Matson. I've already seen the hater comments. He's got bad cardio, this, that, the other thing. He's an Olympic wrestler. His opponent gets taken down all the time. And he's proven that he can strike and get through a three-round fight and win a decision. I like Mark Matson here, but you guys are free to disagree with me and hate on me in the comments. Then we've got Julio Arce taking on Daniel Santos. Julio Arce is a striker with solid volume and good defense. He's able to come forward with power and still counter strike when things come back his way. He utilizes both his hands and his feet in those striking exchanges and he moves really well. Which is why he's not hit very often. He's got that solid movement. The problem though is when he does get hit, His chin doesn't always hold up. He has wrestling in his back pocket and he may need to use it in this matchup. Daniel Santos is making his UFC debut. He's an old school shoot box style striker. And if you don't know what shoot box is, he basically comes plodding forward. He's got really tight guard. And when he hits that pocket, he just explodes with power and speed. He's got solid leg kicks and a clear understanding of violence. He has a very good BJJ from bottom, but he can be taken down I don't want to say easily, but he can be taken down easily, I guess. And even though his BJJ is really good, he's he has that very old school tendencies in that he will play in his guard and he'll work submissions from his guard instead of using his BJJ to create scrambles and stand back up so he can get ridden out playing jujitsu off of his back. Right now, the odds have Julio Arce as a two to one favorite And I have to imagine that's because everybody's just looking at the fact that Daniel Santos is making his UFC debut. But Santos is very dangerous and he could have the exact same success against Arce that Song Yudong did. I do like Arce to win. So I'd like him to win, but it's really because of his wrestling. I think he can work in a few well-timed takedowns to get Santos worrying about those. Once he's worrying about those takedowns, he's not gonna be as comfortable striking. But if he keeps this a kickboxing match, I like Daniel Santos a lot. He comes forward. He has power. He mixes things up well. So Julio Arce is the pick. But I think what I'm going to do betting-wise is Daniel Santos wins inside the distance, but decision no action. Meaning, if Daniel Santos puts Julio Arce away, I will get paid on that bet and we're good. If Daniel Santos is just out-decisioned, right? He's fighting a UFC veteran and he's just on the wrong side of those sh- Loses a decision because Daniel Santos is a pretty durable guy. Then I get a refund. The bet never happened. I get a refund. I like that bet a lot here. Santos is an underdog. I'll get maybe plus money on that bet, but there's a lot of safety built into it. If it goes through decision, I get a refund. If he wins inside the distance, which is very possible, I'll get paid. So that's the bet I like. Julio Arce is the pick. You're only going to find that bet and bets like it if you go to wewantpicks.com slash bets, we have five partners. The one partner that offers that and those safety net type bets is Bet Online. Sign up, make a deposit, let us know if you do and I'll send you 50 bucks. Then we've got Mickey Gall taking on UFC newcomer Mike Malott. Mickey's a pretty good grappler with submissions from both top and bottom, He feels very raw, but he's actually been around a lot longer than it seems. When he gets on top, he's got good pressure, but he only has a 27% takedown accuracy. His stand-up is not great, and he has a negative striking differential. For every three significant strikes he lands, he's hit with four. The most surprising thing on this graphic is that Mickey Gall is only 30 years old. Doesn't it feel like he's been fighting in the UFC for more than 10 years? It feels like he's been here forever, but he's only 30 still improving. Mike Malat is a pretty well-rounded guy. He's got very loose striking style, which allows him to box and kickbox with ease. His hands can be low at times, which makes him pretty hittable, but he's technically sound and he manages range really well. He's sort of the new generation of fighter in that he doesn't have one specific style. He can wrestle, he can grapple, he can strike, he can do all of the MMA things. And breaking down Mickey Gall fights is always tricky because He shot the stardom when he beat CM Punk a few years ago. And frankly, I've said this many times breaking him down. I think that's one of the worst things that could have happened to him. Because if he had a few more years on the regional scene to develop his skills, get more experience, that really would have served him well. Instead, he went right to the UFC very early in his career and is immediately fighting UFC caliber people. And he's sort of learning on their time, which is never... Never a great thing for a young, evolving fighter. But with that being said, Mickey's a talented guy and he's only fought high level of competition. All but one of his professional fights has been inside the UFC. And there's just something to be said about that. That's very high level of fighting. That's a lot of pressure for a lot of years. And at this point, it's a lot of experience. I think Mickey's wrestling is better than Mike's. I think his BJJ is also better. So I like Mickey to win a decision here, but Mike is very good He can also grapple. He will, you know, probably be the better striker here. And I think experience is the big factor. So I'm leaning Mickey. I like Mickey to win this fight, but Mike Malott is a dangerous guy. And we'll find out just how good he actually is in this matchup. Then we got a battle of the heavyweights on the prelim card. We've got Jarzinho Rosenshoek taking on Marcin Taibora. Jarzinho Rosenshoek is a very heavy-handed striker. He's coming off that one-sided loss to Curtis Blades, but before that, he had a nice win over Augusto Sakai. What was interesting about the Augusto Sakai win was that we saw Jarzinho pushing the pace and moving forward. Historically, he was a sort of a counter-striker and he would wait and, and lots of times fall behind, on the scorecards, and he would either lose a decision or just win with a big comeback punch after losing a round or two. The biggest issue with Rosenstruth's style is that if he can't win the striking exchanges, he does not have a backup plan. He's got zero takedowns in the UFC, and while his takedown defense sits at a respectable 75%, he has been taken down by all of the better guys in the division. Curtis Blade, Cyril Ghan, and even Alistair Overeem took down Jarzinho Rosenstruck, and he's taking on Marcin Tibora. Marcin Tibora, he's a grinder who never quits. He's busy everywhere. His striking is just okay, and he's more of a punches and bunches kind of guy. The strikes are really there just to set up his takedowns, and if he does get a takedown, he will pound on you until you quit. He's not really looking for submissions. There was a period in time where Tibora was sort of a stepping stone. He had lost it to Verdum, Derek Lewis, Shamil. And Augusto Sakai, but then he sort of put things together and he went on his own little win streak there. I think this is a very simple and straightforward striker versus grappler matchup. Rosenstrook is a very good striker, but he can have low volume. Tibora is a solid grappler for a heavyweight, but he's got some chin issues, which is not great in a matchup like this. The odds makers have this essentially as a pick 'em, with Rosenstrook being the slight favorite. I see it the other way. I think Tybora should be the slight favorite because of Rosenstrup's hesitancy on his feet and his lack of grappling. I think that gives Tybora a very clear path to victory here. So Tybora's the pick. I think he's going to come forward, bully, wrestle, and work from there. But I'm obviously hoping he doesn't stand and bang because that's not going to go very well for him. So I do like Marcin Tybora to win this matchup. And then this is one of the fights that got swapped around. Originally, Anthony Hernandez was taken on Duplessis, and now he's taken on UFC newcomer Josh Fremd. They swapped some opponents. They made some changes. So Anthony Hernandez remains on the card and just has a new opponent. And Anthony Fluffy Hernandez is a very good grappler. He sort of made a name for himself in the last year or two just by having better cardio than Rodolfo Vieira. If you don't remember that fight, essentially... Adolfo Vieira, world-level BJJ guy, took Hernandez down four times, controlled him for four minutes, and then he gassed harder than I've ever seen anybody gas in a fight before, ever. And Anthony Hernandez remained fresh, remained strong, never quit on himself, had his opportunity, and he ended up submitting the world champion black belt. Outside of that fight, he's sort of had mixed success in his career. He does have solid takedowns. He is a BJJ black belt. And although he's willing to strike, that's never his path to victory. Josh Frem is making his UFC debut here. He's a grappler with solid athleticism and some sneaky power in his punching and striking exchanges. He has had success in the LFA and his only loss there was to UFC's Gregory Rodriguez. He's coming off a win on a Dana White looking for a fight show. And if you don't know what that is... That's basically, just think of Dana White contender series, but it's a regional show and not in the apex. Uh, In that fight, he did have a little trouble striking, but he was able to get it to the ground and then get it done. And this is an interesting matchup because I think it's a much more favorable matchup for Anthony Hernandez than his original opponent was. Both of these guys are grappler. Neither guy looks comfortable striking. I think Hernandez is a better pure BJJ grappler He's definitely got more experience, but Josh is the more athletic guy and he's evolving at a faster pace. I personally do put a lot of stock into athleticism because these athletic fighters, they learn at a faster pace. They can adjust on the fly and they can do things that their opponents many times cannot. This is, and this is an insane comparison. There's going to be idiots in the comment section. How could you, the comparison isn't, and that I'm about to make, isn't between Josh and George St. Pierre. It's, about athleticism and how somebody can evolve. If you look at George St. Pierre, very athletic guy. He never wrestled a day in his life. And he started wrestling as an adult in the UFC and he ended up being arguably the UFC's most successful wrestler. And that was literally because of his athleticism and work ethic. And that is only said as an example as to why I actually do put a lot of stock into how athletic A fighter is. So don't come at me screaming and yelling, saying that I compared Josh to GSP. I did not. I use GSP as an example to say why I do factor in athleticism when breaking down fighters and breaking down guys. With that being said, I do think that the fact that this is short notice, there's probably gonna be some nerves here for Josh. It's a whirlwind, right? Things have come together very quickly. It's a big fight on a UFC pay-per-view. I think Anthony's UFC experience. I think those factors do give Anthony Hernandez the slight edge here. This is grappler versus grappler. I will say though, Josh Frem at 6'4, athletic, decent hands. He wrestled in college, not at a high level, but he did wrestle in college. I, I really want to pick him here, but there's just too many unknowns. I have to go with the known entity in Hernandez. But this is a pick that I may I may shift on come a little closer to the fight. So pay attention to all of our content and let me know in the comments what you think about this fight. But right now, very slight edge for Anthony Hernandez, but Josh Frem is probably one of the most live underdogs on this card. Then we've got Ian Gary taking on Darian Weeks. Ian Gary's pretty young in his career. He's only got eight fights at this point. But just like his last matchup, the UFC marketing machine is definitely looking for him to get a highlight win so that they can push him forward. He's a good striker with crazy hand speed and fantastic footwork. But we learned a lot from his last fight, and it's not all good news. Yes, he won by stoppage, but he was actually on the wrong side of most of those exchanges, and he tried to wrestle. He was supposed to be the better striker in that matchup, and he ended up trying to wrestle. He is hittable, and you can see that with his negative striking differential. I think Ian Gary has a ton of potential, but he does need to clean clean up some things so he doesn't lose to the more technical strikers in the division. Darian Weeks is coming off a loss in his UFC debut against Brian Barberina. In that fight, though, he did have four takedowns, and he landed more strikes. Darian is a wrestler who's very comfortable striking. He has very real power in his hands. He has explosive takedowns, and he has legit submissions. He's an actual threat. There's a ton of tape on him, and one of the most impressive things I saw while breaking down that tape was in his fight against Craig Fairley, just how easy it was for Darian to defend a takedown. Darian basically threw a kick, a kick, Craig caught it, lifted it clean in the air. He turned it. He pressured. He did all the things you're supposed to do to get that takedown. And Darian was just so composed, so balanced. None of it mattered. And he defended that takedown with no issues whatsoever. And that really was very impressive. His athleticism and his defense was impressive. But what was more impressive to me was just how composed he was in that exchange. Because that's a pretty scary exchange. In a fight. And I think the UFC set this fight up because they're hoping to build out Ian. They want Ian to win. They trust his power, they trust his striking ability, to, and they trust his ability to keep this fight standing. They want him to get a win here. And I think if the fight does stay standing, he should absolutely get a win. But I'm not so sure it will stay standing. Darian had great success against Brian Barbarina, who's also a really fun striker. The odds right now have Ian as a two-to-one favorite that just t- like slight movement towards Darian Weeks on some books. And while I do think those odds are wide, I don't think he should be a two-to-one favorite. I still think Ian wins. I mentioned the success that Darian had against Brian Barbarina with the four takedowns, but he was still hit 108 times and I think Ian can get to Darian he can touch him up and even though he does have holes in in his defense as far as striking is concerned in his last fight he did show that his striking should be good enough his striking has some very real power behind it there's some sting on it I think Ian Gary can touch up Darian Weeks I think he's got more power than Brian Barbarina does so I think he'll do more damage have more success and get it done. I do not think he should be a two-to-one favorite, but I do like Ian Gary here, but he's gotta be careful in some of those wild striking exchanges. This is another fight on the card that was switcherooed. So Aspen Ladd's original opponent, Irene Aldana, dropped. So now we have Aspen Ladd taking on UFC veteran Raquel Pennington. Rocky Pennington stepping up on short notice. It's about two weeks for her coming into this fight. But let's not forget... She lives with and is girlfriends with Tisha Torres, who's also on this card. So we have to imagine that her cardio is there. She's been training. She's a training partner. So let's assume Raquel Pennington is in shape and ready to go. At this point in her career, she is absolutely a tried and true vet. She's been fighting the top of the division for about 10 years now. If you look at her record, she has only lost to some of the best women on planet Earth. Her last losses have all been to current and former champions. She marches forward with strikes and then she controls from there. She sort of has a boring grappling style because she's not really looking to get you completely to the ground, but she removes any tools that you may have by just working you against the cage dominating with control time and pressure she does have fantastic cardio and she's pretty good everywhere aspen ladd came back after a two-year layoff and she lost to norma dumont in her last fight where she was essentially a step behind that entire fight Technique-wise, she's not very technical, but she is very tough. She's decent everywhere and has zero quit in her whatsoever. But she isn't just a wild striker without technique. She can grapple as well. She took down Yana Kunitskaya twice, Shajara Eubanks three times. And to round out Aspen Lad, she's got wild, powerful striking. She can grapple and she's just a dog. And there's something about the dog in her that makes her competitive in essentially every single fight she's in. And this is a much trickier fight to break down than Aspen versus Irene was because Rocky Pennington is very good and very experienced, but styles make fights and Pennington's style is to win with cage pressure and control. And Aspen is such a dog and she's so tough. I don't think she just accepts being controlled against the cage. I liked Irene to win because she's a fast technical striker and she has very good takedown defense. But that's not who Rocky Pennington is. Pennington likes to push forward, slow you down, and bully you. She won't be faster than Aspen. She may not even be stronger. She doesn't hit harder. She won't have better wrestling. So while Raquel Pennington is very good and has been at an incredibly high level for a very long time, I think I like Aspen Ladd here. I think I like Aspen Ladd. Honestly, the dog in her not accepting the bully, the positions from Raquel Pennington, I think Aspen Ladd gets this done. She's my pick. This is absolutely a no-bet situation. Do not bet on this fight. And then we have Alexi Olenek taking on Jared Vandera. Alexi Olenek was originally supposed to fight Alir Latifi two weeks ago at UFC Columbus. Alir got sick a couple hours before the fight. He pulled out. They rebooked it for UFC 273, and now Alir Latifi has pulled out again. But luckily, Jared Vandera has stepped up on short notice. So now Alexi Olenek is fighting Jared Vandera on the undercard of UFC 273. And Alexi Olenek, he is in our video opener for this channel. He's Vivant Vant Picks. That's Alexi Olenek. And I've really enjoyed picking him to beat Alir Latifi these past couple of weeks. But this fight against Jared Vandera is a very different fight. Alexi is a ridiculously experienced grappler who has a very high finish rate. He's 45 years old. He's actually 44 in like eight months. But he's basically 45 years old. So his chin is gone. His cardio is not great. His wrestling could use a little bit of work. But my God, can this guy submit anybody On the ground. You give him an opening, he will take it and he will submit you. I've made this comparison the last few weeks, but he's just like an older Paul Craig. He could be on the wrong side of a beating and then whoop, snatch that up and get that submission win. Jared Vandera is a volume striker who built his pre UFC career on his grappling. And if you break down his UFC fights versus his fights on the regional scene before the UFC, you would literally think you're watching two completely different fighters. But now that he has made the transition from grappler to striker, he's had some success. He dominated Justin Taffa. He had a very close fight with Andre Orlovsky where he actually outstruck Andre 70-64. He has a really long jab, solid distance control, clean striking in addition to his size. He's a very big man and his wrestling. He hasn't showcased his wrestling yet in the UFC, but he does have it in his back pocket. And it's easy to say that Alexey Olenek is 2-3 and three in his last five, and he's on a three-fight skid. But let's look at those three losses. He lost to Spivak, Dawkus, and Derek Lewis, who would all beat, and some have already beaten, Jared Vandera. Vandera's also on his own 2-3 and three skid in his last five, but his losses are a split decision to Andrei Lofsky, where I mentioned he outlanded him in strikes. Then he lost to Romanov and Spivak, who basically just took him down and dominated him on the ground. So on the surface, you may look at this and say, well, Vandera loses to grapplers and Olenek is a grappler. So this is pretty straightforward. The problem is Olenek has very poor takedowns and without the offensive takedowns, he's basically stuck on his feet where I think Jared Vandera absolutely batters him. When I broke down Olenek versus Latifi, I liked Olenek because Latifi is a low volume striker who will absolutely get it to the ground. And that's where Olenek wants to be. But Vandera is a high-volume striker who has no interest in getting it to the ground. So Vandera, honestly, a very surprisingly easy pick for me. The odds here are nuts. On some books, Jared Vandera is an underdog at plus 100, plus 105. If he's not an underdog, he's even money here. I already have a money line bet on Jared Vandera. As much as I want Alexi Olinik to win, I, I just think it's a bad matchup. Vandera is big. He has high-volume striking. He's got good takedown defense. It says 20% on the screen, but you can't go by that because, okay, he was taken down by two nasty grapplers. Outside of those two fights, he has very good takedown defense, and Alexi Olenek does not have the wrestling, not even close to Romanov. So, Jared is an easy pick here for me. I've got a money line bet on him, and I don't know what his DraftKings pricing is going to be. DraftKings is actually user usually pretty sharp in their pricing. So I bet he'll be a little more expensive than I want him to, but he'll probably be in my DraftKings lineup as well. Then we have Mackenzie Dern with a fake Portuguese accent taking on Tisha Torres, Mackenzie Dern is an amazing grappler who's trouble for anyone on the ground. Her striking has improved since her debut and she's definitely gotten more comfortable in those exchanges. The issue is she's almost gotten too comfortable in the striking exchanges because we see her charging forward now with big shots and big punches, but she's not even looking for takedowns right away. She has a negative striking differential and a horrific 10% takedown accuracy. 10%, that's rough. Tisha Torres, she's good everywhere. She has very nice boxing. She stays in people's faces. She's a good grappler with good wrestling and insane cardio. Her only losses since 2017 were decisions to the top women on the planet. All but one is a former champion, and that one is Marina Rodriguez, who, you know, could have a, a genuine shot at becoming a champion in the future. I was hoping that Mackenzie Dern the ridiculous fake accent. And if you guys don't think her accent is fake, literally just look it up. There's plenty of videos out there of her when she was younger, just speaking like a regular person who grew up in Rhode Island and Arizona as she did. And now, you know, the, the accent's just insane. I'm off that. I'm off the accent thing, but it's nuts. Why bother? Anyway, anyway, I was hoping that her grappling accomplishments would have her as the favorite here. There's a lot of hype on Mackenzie. There has been for a little while, but it seems that her last loss, she was exposed. I picked against her. A lot of people didn't, and I think that's just sort of woken the world up to what Mackenzie can and cannot do. So Chisha Torres is sitting as the favorite. I've been vocal in the past about grapplers who cannot wrestle. It makes no sense to me. I will never understand how your best Path to victory is to get this fight to the ground, but you don't spend the time learning how to get it to the ground. I will never understand that. It makes no sense to me. 10% takedown accuracy for a woman who could submit anybody on this planet makes no sense. Stop grappling, stop boxing, only wrestle for the next year and a half, and then you will be as dangerous as sort of the hype suggested that you will be. Anyway, I see Mackenzie just basically punching air most of this fight. I see her 10% takedown accuracy being of no use to her whatsoever. I like Tisha Torres to win. I'm going to put a bet on Tisha Torres. I'm very confident in Tisha's ability to just have a ton of volume, keep it on her feet, and even if it does go to the ground, I think she'll be able to avoid submissions. I'm loving Tisha Torres in this spot. Unfortunately for Mackenzie Dern, she does have a, a pretty sweet spot on a pay-per-view main card, but it's just not going to work out for her. Big Tisha fan here. Think she gets it done, and I'm going to have a money line bet on her. Then we have the fight that I think most people are most excited for. We have Gilbert Burns taking on Hamzat Shemaev. Gilbert Burns, two fights ago, lost to Usman, but he showed the world just how much power he has. And then he bounced back in his last fight with a dominant grappling win, over Steven Thompson where he took him down three times and he basically controlled the entire fight. Gilbert is a grappler who has developed striking over time and he's pretty good everywhere. His power is impressive, especially considering he was a 155-pounder who moved up to welterweight just a few years ago. Hamzat Shemaev is an interesting guy to break down because... He has been incredible and he's been seemingly unstoppable. So we have no real examples of what he looks like in adversity or what happens to him when he he gets taken down he falls behind we've just never seen that he's got very good wrestling very good grappling very good ground and pound and legit hands he sets an incredible pace and he's always hitting you with something he has sort of that Khabib style chain wrestling with an added layer of striking his stats are insane he has four fights in the UFC and he has only been hit one single time one single time he's been hit in four fights in the UFC, he's taken everyone down except Gerald Mearshart, who he knocked out in seconds. I personally am very excited for this fight, and I imagine you are too. This is a massive step up for him, Chemaev. He's fought four people. I said this last breakdown, and one of you troll goblins jumped down my throat, and I'm going to say it again. He's fought four people in the UFC, and none of them could sniff the top 10, the top 20, let alone the top five. Everybody, oh, Jin Lang was ranked. Get out of here. Nobody that Shamayev fought is in the top 10. Probably not the top 20, maybe the top 20, but nobody that Shamayev fought is in the top 10 or deserves to be in the top 10. That's just a straight up. I can't believe people were arguing with me about that statement, but Gilbert Burns is a giant step up here compared to Shamayev's previous opponents he has a wealth of experience he's got power in his hands he's got his own grappling offense he's only been taken down two times in his last 11 fights and that was by Damian Maya, who he eventually stopped I think Shamayev dominates here his wrestling is outstanding and that's a clear path to victory for him But it's just so hard to just quickly, like without a thought, we're just dismissing Gilbert Burns. Oh, he's gonna lose to Shamayev. Shamayev's the next champion. It's just so hard to quickly do that because experience does matter. And we really have no idea what Shamayev's gonna look like if he gets into some trouble. If Gilbert Burns comes out here, throws big bombs, lands a few of them, shoots his own takedowns, we just don't know how Shamayev's gonna react because we haven't seen it yet. With that being said, Shamayev is the pick. I'm not dismissing Gilbert Burns. I, I, you know, this is a big step up. I think it's very safe to put Shemayev in your parlays. But again, he's going from fighting four guys that are not top 10 in the world, probably not 15 in the world, to fighting a top three guy, top five guy on the planet. Big step up. We're going to find out a lot about Shemayev in this matchup. And props to Gilbert for taking it because he's fighting... Essentially, I think Shamayev is now ranked 10, but he he accepted this fight against essentially an unranked fighter in a really, really tough matchup. So nice job, Gilbert Burns, and we'll find out how good Shamayev actually is. And then we have the rematch that we've been waiting years for. Everybody probably remembers that Peter Yan was destroying Aljamain Sterling in their first fight, and then he landed an illegal knee. There was a DQ. Aljamain won the fight, became champion. Everybody clowned him saying you were getting tooled, you were getting smoked, you took the easy way out. But let's look at the stats and let's just remember how that fight actually went because the stats don't tell that same story of Aljamain Sterling getting absolutely destroyed. Aljamain Sterling landed 97 significant strikes to Peter's 86, so he outstruck Peter Jan as far as the stats were concerned. Peter did go seven for seven on takedowns, And he had four minutes of control time, but Aljamain had his own takedown. He had a reversal and he had three minutes of control time. Aljamain, I'm not making the case that he won that fight. That's not what I'm doing here. I'm just adding some perspective because I think as time has gone on, we've all just continued to to think and say and regurgitate the fact that Peter Yan destroyed Aljamain Sterling. But it was a closer fight than a lot of us remember. Uh, Aljamain Sterling, he's a rangy striker with solid grappling. He actually started his career as a grappler and has takedowns in every win before 2018. But over time, he developed his own striking style where he uses his kicks really well to manage range. He lands almost five significant strikes per minute and only absorbs two. And that's because he does do such a good job with his footwork and managing range. Pyotr Jan is a phenomenal striking striker with fantastic takedown defense. He's a nightmare for anyone that can't outstrike him, which is pretty much everybody. He plots forward with a Muay Thai style guard, and then he just blasts away with power and accuracy to cap that off. He's a good grappler who averages more than two takedowns per fight, but taking him down is a really tall task. He has a 90% takedown defense over nine UFC fights. We've already seen this fight, right? This is a rematch. We've already seen it. In the first fight, Piotr was winning. Since then, he had what I call a close fight to Corey Sanhagen. You guys were like, oh, he destroyed him. What are you talking about? He literally didn't win the first round. He lost the first round. And yes, he won the next four. So it was a solid win. He beat um, Corey Sanhagen, But you guys were screaming and yelling before that fight that he was going to knock out Corey Sanhagen. And he did it. So solid win over a top five guy. He did give up that first round. He wasn't able to put him away. And Sterling, since their first fight, has been plagued with injuries. Again, people giving him a hard time, saying he's faking it, delaying the inevitable. But the reality is he's had injuries, serious injuries at that. And we finally get this fight. And even though... Piotr's last fight was a lot closer than people thought it was going to be. I got to go with Piotr here. He was landing the more powerful strikes in their first fight. He was controlling the grappling. He hit all seven of his takedown attempts, where Sterling only got one takedown of 17 attempts. I honestly see more of the same without the illegal knee. I like Piotr to win, but I do think it's by decision. I think Aljamain will have some success probably early, and then just like most Pyotr Jan fights, he'll lose that first round, give it up, and then start to come along there. So Pyotr Jan is the pick. He's probably safe for a parlay piece. You want to do the the next three guys or the last these last three uh guys in a parlay? Absolutely. Volkanovsky, Pyotr Jan, Kamzat Shamaev in a parlay. And spoiler alert, I think Volkanovsky wins this fight, but let's break it down anyway. And this is an interesting fight, though, because originally this was short notice. Originally we were going to see Alexander Volkanovsky take on Max Holloway for the 17th time, but Max Holloway pulled out, Uh, Korean Zombie stepped in on short notice, but then that fight got delayed. So now Korean Zombie basically has a full camp in what was originally a short notice fight. Alexander Volkanovsky has been the champion for two and a half years, but we've only seen him fight two different human beings. So while I wish this was Alexander Volkanovsky taking on Henry Cejudo. I am glad that it's just not Max Holloway again. I'm I'm honestly sick of that fight. How many times are we going to watch that? Alexander is a very good striker. He's got legit speed with his hands and his feet. He uses kicks really well, and he uses his combinations to set up very clean takedowns. He's a short guy, but he doesn't really struggle finding the range, finding the head, or getting to the hips of his opponents. He's very strong, but he doesn't possess knockout power. The Korean Zombie has been in the UFC since 2011, but he did have to take a few years off to serve in the military. Uh, And that time off definitely slowed his momentum, but he has worked his way into this title shot, and he did that with a great win over Dan Ige. Zombie has great striking, great grappling, and a high fight IQ. He's beaten some of the best guys on the planet, like Frankie Edgar, like Dustin Poirier, but he's also lost to some of those high-end guys, those high-level guys like Brian Ortega and Jose Aldo. I think this is a pretty straightforward win for Volkanovski, though. I think his work ethic, pace, striking volume, and takedowns will absolutely be too much for the Korean Zombie, and I think he cruises to a unanimous decision win. I know a lot of you are loving Volkanovski by stoppage, but Zombie is a pretty durable guy. He's very tough. He does have legit power. Prior to Ige, his three wins were knockouts over Edgar Moicano and Bermudez. And let's think about that Moicano knockout and how well that holds up now, considering the beating he just took on short notice. Uh, So Zombie's going to be super dangerous in this fight, but I don't think he's going to be dangerous enough. I like Volkanovski to win. I think it's an easy pick. He's a parlay piece. My favorite parlay on this card is definitely the three men in the... Feature fight, co-main, and main event. We have Volkanovsky, Shemaev, and Pyotr Jan. Love that parlay piece. And I think you get yourself some plus money. Not giant, but some plus money. Guys, go to wewantpicks.com bets. Sign up with any one of our five betting partners. Make a deposit. Let me know after you do. And we send you $50 as a thank you for supporting us and our partners. Like, subscribe, share, do all the things. I appreciate you. And we will see you for our full... Full breakdown, myself, Jacob, Lock of the Week, all the things, Tuesday night live stream. Check us out then.